Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. And we're joining again. Could I trouble you to close the door? We join again with Perak Lamad Bet, Pasuk Kaf Vav. So Yaakov is wrestling. Um, Rashi gave two translations, both of which basically mean some sort of wrestle with this mysterious person. Um, Rashi says one idea, which he seems to prefer, is that he is the Sar Shel Esav, some sort of uh, ministering angel on behalf of Esav. So they, the fight goes on, and we come to Pasuk Kaf Vav. Vayar ki lo yachol lo. And he saw that he could not. Now, yachol normally means just to be able. So how do we translate lo yachol lo? He's not able to him. Well, a little bit later, um, Rashi's going to tell us that that means, or Rashi's going to give us an explanation which can only make sense if Yochol means to beat, to vanquish. So, Vayarki lo Yochol lo, he, the Malach, saw that he, the Malach, could not vanquish over him, Yaakov. And he touched the Chaf Yerecho in the hollow of his thigh, the Taka Kaf Yeref Yaakov. And the hollow of the thigh of Yaakov became dislocated. That's the teka, as Rashi will tell us. Um, when he was either rise, raising dust or um, uh, engaged with him. Those are the two explanations Rashi gave in the previous verse. So <clears throat> the Malach can't defeat Yaakov. So he touches his thigh and the hollow of his thigh becomes dislocated. Good evening, we're on Pasuk Kafman. So this Rashi, uh, the two Rashis on this Pasuk, I, I define as straightforward explaining what the words mean. Um, uh, I'm, inevitably one could go deeper and deeper, but I'm happy to say that Rashi here is explaining what the words mean. There's a few words here which are unusual or, or rare. So Rashi says on the words, kulit hayerech. The, now, kulit um, is defined in the Gemara as a bone, which the Hebrew word is normally etzem, but a bone containing marrow. So um, I bow to the medical student here, but that makes it a bit more alive, doesn't it? Yeah, I think all bones have marrow. Okay. All right. Well, this is the kulit. The kulit of the Yerech, hatakua, which is stuck. Um, which is the hip socket, which is called a calf, like a spoon, because the flesh, which is on top of it, is like a spoon of a plate. It's like spoon shape. It's uh, concave. Uh, again, Miss Medical Student, nearly doctor. You're a doctor yet? Not you, but close. Um, is the flesh on top of a uh, hip, the, the, like the ball of the hip, is that like spoon shaped? I suppose so. You suppose so, that's yeah. good enough, okay. Yeah. All right, so Rashi's telling us what the Kaf Yerecho is. Ah, we have a doctor on board. Um, of course. Do Dr. Corbel. Cup shape. I'm sorry? Cup shape. The socket's called like a vinegar cup. Vinegar cup. 
Okay, so a cup is like a super spoon. It's like a more convex version of a spoon. Bigger soup spoon. Bigger soup spoon, like a ladle. Okay. Um, Kaf shal kadeira. Maybe that's what Rashi means by kaf shal kadeira, the spoon of a bowl. Maybe he means like it's a ladle shape. Okay, so he's telling you what the kaf yerech is. And then the next Rashi is on the word the teka, which I translated as became dislocated. And this is the key thing because the malach touching him on the kaf yerech resulted in the teka kaf yerech Yaakov, the, uh, the spoon, the spoon shape of the thigh of Yaakov became dislocated. It says Rashi on the teka, nitka ka'a mimakom machberta. So presumably Rashi assumes that we are more familiar with the word of nitkaka than the word teka. So nitkaka means to be pulled loose. It was pulled loose, mimakom machbarata, from the place where it was joined. Vadomelo, and he brings um, <clears throat> two examples of other texts, interestingly, two different texts, as we will see, of where we see this word. And as usual, Rashi brings examples where the, word, the meaning of the word is unambiguous. So, pen teka nafshi mimech, lest my soul be disconnected from you. Pasukin yemiyahu. Loshon hasara, an expression of removal. So having started by saying, basically, we can replace the teka <coughs> by nitkaka'a, he now shows you, if you like, the etym- or not the etymology, but, but the meaning of the word as it's applied in other cases. It's basically loshon hasara, an expression of removal. Uba mishnah. So having given an example from the Tanakh, the Nach, to be precise, he gives an example from the Mishnah, where he finds the words lakakea beitzatan, to... Um, well, then Rashi explains the Sharesh Sharoshehen to uproot their roots. So Lakekea Beitzatan means to remove the eggs or its eggs to pull them out. Now, Rashi says this is a Mishnah. Um, it's not, as far as we know. There is a very similar phrase in the Midrash, but there isn't a phrase that we can find in the Mishnah. Maybe the text of Rashi has been corrupted. Maybe he had a different text of the Mishnah to us. Um, various possibilities. But the word the kakea, Beit Satan, means to disconnect the eggs. And then Rashi says that means the sharesh, sharashehen. That's not a translation, that's a def- def- definition to uproot the roots, like to pull it out by the roots. Okay, that's Rashi on Pasuk Kaflav. And as I said, those Rashis, um, I think, are uh, explaining what the words mean. Then, Vayomer Shalcheni, Pasuk Kaflav he, the Malach said, send me, Ki Allah hashachar, because dawn has broken, the morning is arisen. Vayomer, and he said, that's Yaakov, lo ashalechacha ki im berachtani, I will not send you unless you bless me. So we're getting into this pasuk and basically up to um, Lamad is the story of Yaakov's encounter with this mysterious person. So we've had the fight, and the fight's now over, and Yaakov's uh, thigh is out of joint. Now there is the conversation, and the conversation is very strange, and Rashi explains what's going on. I think it's probably helpful for us to read all four psukim, and then we'll go back and look at them one by one. So we've read the first one. I will not send you until or unless you bless me. 
פסוק כ"ח, ויאמר אליו, מה שמעך? ויאמר יעקב. So the angel says, what's your name? And he replies, יעקב. So we might wonder, how is that a blessing? Well, we're going to see a little bit of it, but יעקב says, uh, so the first question is, why does the angel have to go because it's morning? The second question is, why does יעקב think that he can keep him there? Angels usually sort of uh, go by themselves. Next thing is, why does Yaakov say, and what does he mean by you bless me? Next question is, how is the angel asking his name anything to do with blessing Yaakov? And the Malach said, Yaakov will not be said old anymore, Shimcha, your name. Ki'im, but rather Yisrael. This is our name. We are the Israelites. Ki sarita im elokim ve'im anashim v'tuchal. Because you have fought with God and with people, v'tuchal, as we will see, Rashi doesn't actually spell it out, but that has to make sense to mean, uh, and you have been victorious. Just like uh, in Pasuk Kavah, v'yar ki lo yachol lo, meant the angel saw that he could not be victorious over Yaakov. Then Pasuk Lamad, וישאל יעקב, ויעקב אסט, ויאמר, הגידה נשמך, he says to the angel, tell me, please, tell me, please, your name, ויאמר, and the angel said, למה זה תשאל לשמי, why do you ask my name, and then, ויברך אותו שם, he blessed him there. So the request that יעקב made in Kafzayin is finally fulfilled in Lamad. Okay, let's go back to Rashi and try and work out what's going on. The first question is, Uh, Rashi comments in Kavzayin on Ki'ala Hashacha, because the morning has risen, dawn has broken, as we might say. Why is that the answer, the response, or sorry, why does that generate Shalcheni? So I would suggest that Rashi's question is, why does the Malach say, send me because it's morning? Um, you get the idea of Havdil Afel, of him, some sort of vampire who can't be seen in the daylight. So that's not our story. So why, the Malach clearly says, You have to send me ki ala hashacha. So why is, what's one got to do with the other? So Rashi says ki ala hashacha, but sarich ani lomar shira the yom. And I need to say shira by day. So an angel has a job to do in Shemaim. The job is to say shira. Obviously these uh, mystical ideas which don't have a physical manifestation are very hard for us to understand. But there is a shira, and it's only by day. So although Rashi seems to be going to a remote idea about the nature of angels and the nature of angels' works, it answers the question, because the angel says, I have to go because it's morning. So Rashi has to supply the reason that morning generates the need to go. Um, there is something to say on this, because Rashi is quoting the Gemara in Chulin, Sadi Aleph, and there... It doesn't quite say what Rashi says it says here. The Malach says, from the day that I was created, I haven't said Shira up till now, and now is my moment. I'm paraphrasing slightly. Rashi doesn't say any of that. Rashi just says it's day. So why doesn't Rashi bring from the Gemara, which he is quoting, the, really what the Malach says in the Gemara, which is, it's my first opportunity ever to say Shira. So I saw a reference to the Marsha. So the Marsha obviously postdates Rashi, but maybe 
Rashi's Maramish to the same idea. Maybe Rashi's alluding to the same idea that Marsha says. So the Marsha in Chagiga, you'd bet on the bet, um, compares a Gemara there to a Gemara, the Gemara in Chulin that Rashi is quoting. And the Marsha points out a contradiction and resolves it as follows. And he says, there is a distinction between the group of angels who are created every day. They only say Shira once on the day that they are created, as is explained there in Chulim. There's a distinction between them, and between the other angels, the ones that are there permanently, Michael, Gabriel, etc. Sha'omrim Shira Tamid They say Shira all the time, day and night. So says the Marsha, uh, and obviously uh, I, I'm, I'm bringing the Marsha sort of in the middle of the story because he compares a Gemara here and a Gemara there and he reaches his conclusion. And also, as I said earlier, we, we don't understand, I don't understand anyway, what all this saying Shira is um, in a way that we can actually understand for in our own uh, puny human ways. But what we get is as follows. Either you are one of what some people call the archangels, Michal, Gabriel, etc. And then you say Shira all the time, morning, at noon, and night. Or you're one of the instant angels, and they only say Shira by day. And they only get one time to say it. And that means when the angel in the Gemara says to Yaakov, it's my time to say Shira, according to Rashi, the key relevant point that, that, we, can, that we can transfer to our Pasuk here is that it's daytime, day has arisen. Because according to the Marasha, the, 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 you know, the short-term angels can only say Shira by day. So when the Malach says, it's my turn to say Shira, that's equivalent to saying, it's now day, and it's my turn to say Shira. And since Rashi is explaining the Pasuk, the Malach doesn't say anything about my turn to say Shira in the Pasuk. All the Malach says is, ki ala hashacha. So Rashi has to focus on the fact that it is day, because that's what's said in the Pasuk. So maybe that's why he, as it were, abstracts out from the Gemara in Chulin and leaves behind the bit about it's my first chance to say Shira, but includes the bit about it's now daytime, and therefore I'm the sort of angel who can now and must say Shira by day. Okay. Then the Malach says, sorry, um, ya ya Yaakov says, don't send me away. He's like, I'm not going to send you away. Ki im berachtani. And says Rashi, berachtani, hodat li, acknowledge for me, al habrachot sheberchani avi, about the blessings that my father blessed me with, going back to that day when he stole, took the blessings <coughs> with a degree of deceit. Esav is contesting them. So, um, lots to say on this. Just one line of Rashi, lots to say. Um, first of all, there's an amazing idea here. According to the previous Rashi, it's, it's essential for the work of creation, or to be besides the work of Shemayim, that this angel goes and says, Shira. That, that, that it's whatever goes on in Shemayim, it must happen. And Yaakov is saying, no, I'm not going to let you go. So why Yaakov has power over an angel, that what we can't really answer. Maybe the next Rashi will give a little bit of a clue. Um, but it's as if Yaakov is saying, the lack 
of acknowledgement of my rights to the brachot is equivalent to something, um, an impediment in the very fabric of creation itself. And yes, you need to go and say shira and praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Obviously, that's mega important, but you can't do it. And that shira won't be sung until my brachot are acknowledged. That's how important it is. That's how critical it is to the world itself, to the entire cosmos, that you acknowledge my brachot. And until you do that, that shira is not going to be sung. Uh, and, and, and that sort of makes sense. Because the Yaakov taking the brachot and Yaakov ascending, assuming the right of the Bachar to, to be the firstborn, um, which I'll come back to in a minute, and those brachot, which guarantee um, uh, um, uh, blessings in this world and the next world and protection from our enemies, are so critical that Yaakov should receive those brachot and pass them down to his descendants, i.e. the Jewish people, that until those bracha are made authentic, then Hashem can't be sung a song of praise to. Okay, the next thing to say is, why does Rashi say that we're talking about bracha that have already been given? Surely when he says, Lo ki im means I won't send you unless you bless me. So please bless me. We all know how to do a blessing. You know, put your hands on my head and say some nice words. Please bless me. But Rashi says it's nothing to do with the blessing that you're going to give me now. It's all about authenticating the blessings I've already received in the past. So I think there's two reasons why Rashi is driven to this conclusion. One is what's going to happen next. Because although in Pasuk Lamad, as we saw in our little preview, there he blesses him. But the main conversation, which is somehow the fulfillment of Yaakov's request for blessings, is all about what's your name. And Rashi will explain that all in the context of retroactively justifying and, and uh, uh, approving, acknowledging the blessings that he took from Yitzchak. And the third thing to say is the grammar of Beirach Tani. So, I won't send you unless you will bless me. What would that have been? That would have been Tavarachini. You bless me. You will bless me. Berachtani is in the past. You have blessed me. So how can Yaakov say, I won't send you unless you have blessed me in the past? I Rashi answers that by saying, I will, you, not that you have blessed me in the past, I've already been blessed, but you can now, um, concur with the blessings that I've got in, in the past. Um, you could say, with reference to this week's Sedra, um, there's lots of people who go to a Kohen in this week's Sedra, V'taher. And the Kohen, what is V'taher? Declares him to be Tahor. Or V'timei. The Kohen declares him to be Tamei. So in the same way, you could read Berech as declares him to be blessed, which is what Yaakov is asking for, according to Rashi. So what happens next? The angel says, what's your name? And he says, Yaakov. Um, obviously, there's a significance in asking what's your name. It's not like, you know, we haven't been introduced yet. Please, can we like, tell us who we are so we can sit down and have a cup of tea um, in uh, slightly more informal circumstances? Obviously, this asking about his name, especially because the next person is going to talk about the response to that, is part of the response to the request of Beirach Tani. So no Rashi on Kaftet. Let's go straight on to Kaftet. 
Should I finish? Yaakov said, my name is Yaakov. Yeah, I'm just remembering. I'm just just, just thinking, uh, going back to that moment at the end of Parashat Toldot, when Yitzchak said to him, who are you? And he said, I'm Esau. Maybe, I don't know, maybe there's some uh, connection that now he says, who are you? And he says, I'm Yaakov. Anyway, Pasuk Kavtet. Sad, not sad, but Finally, he comes into his own identity and he knows who he is, and then the angel's like, actually, <laughs> not Yaakov anymore. Okay. Um, by the way, so you've just reminded me of something I didn't say earlier. Why does Yaakov ask this malach for a blessing, which Yaakov, right, Rashi says, means confirm the blessings I've already got? How can those blessings be confirmed? How can, I'm setting us up for what Rashi's going to say next, how can we change? the nature of those of the way those blessings were acquired because we all know it was a little bit if i can say dodgy how those blessings were acquired now it's true that yitzchak the way rashi explained it when he said yitzchak actually even after he knew that the person in front of him was yaakov he acknowledged that the blessings go to yaakov but still the, the dodginess remains so an answer to that perhaps is um as we know, that there's this connection between the taking of the blessings and the taking of the birthright. The beginning of Parashat told the soup. What does it mean that Yaakov took the birthright? It means, in some senses, he became a Bahar. He swapped places. And he took the blessings that were destined for the Bahar. Now, if it can be confirmed that he's really the Bahar, then the blessings now go to him without dodginess. Who can confirm that he's really the Bechor? That's only for Hashem or Hashem's messenger, Amalach. So it could well be, but that's really what Yaakov is asking for. Now, um, let's look at Rashi. Now, this Rashi is quite long, and I'm going to use the word messy. I hope by the time we've finished it, it's not messy, but it seems a little bit messy at first. And I want, before we read it, I want to explain some of the problems that Rashi is answering all in one go. I made it uh, five, actually, and there's probably more. Number one, it's the case that the angel is going to change his uh, name. But it's also going to happen again in Lamed Hay Posuk Yud, that he's going to meet Hashem at Beit El, and Hashem's going to change his name. So that's problem number one. So what's happening here? How does it relate to what's going to happen there? Number two um, is we have a uh, quite a lot, well, quite a few pesukim in Hosea, Eric Hay, which talk about Yaakov, and they talk about this incident, and they also talk about the next incident in um, uh, at Betel, where Hashem himself appears and changes Yaakov's name. And Rashi is going to quote from Hosea, and he's going to explain how what's going on here fits in with what's going on there. And that's particularly, that, that's why I said it was messy. When Rashi starts quoting other pasukim and fitting the story into other pasukim, as well as what he's commenting on here, it's possible to get a bit confused. But because the pasukim in Hosea are so explicitly referring back to this incident, Rashi has to show how his explanation of this incident fits in to the pasukim there in Hosea. And indeed, the pasukim there in Hosea tell us, shed light on what's going on here. Um, next question is, how does Yaakov 
tuchal, which we mean, which we take to mean triumph over a malach. What does it mean to triumph over a malach? After all, the malach seems to have the upper hand because the malach made him lame by dislocating his thigh. So in what way has Yaakov beaten the malach? And one more point is at the end of Pasuk Lamad, um, finally, he blesses him. The malach blesses Yaakov. Shom, there. Now, why does he, why do we have there? Now, all these questions are answered in this comment of Russia. So, on the words, lo Yaakov, um, the Malach says to Yaakov, lo Yaakov ye'omer od shimcha, your name will not be anymore said as Yaakov, ki im Yisrael, but rather it will be Yisrael, which means ki sarita im alokim im anashim you have struggled with God and with people and you have been victorious. Says Rashi, lo Yaakov, lo ye'omer od shahabrachot ba'u lacha ba'akva uremia. No more will it be said, but the blessings came to you by deception and trickery. Ki'im bisrara the gilui panim, but rather with sarah, noble conduct, the gilui panim and fully revealed. No hiding, no pretending, no wearing the guise of somebody else. So, first in the Rashi's done is told us the connection between what Rashi said in the previous comment about Berachtani and the changing name. Because without Rashi, we don't see the connection between the changing name and the request that Yaakov made, bless me, which Rashi explained as endorse the blessings that I've got. What's the name got to do with it? So Rashi's given us that link. So the name Yaakov, means but the blessings came to you from Yaakov by, by trickery and another word for trickery once you change the name to Yisrael that's connected to the root and, we, and it also refers to so the name change reflects the character of the or, or the character associated with the receiving of the blessings. So while you were called Yaakov, it was assumed, it was stated, but the blessings came to you, Ba'akava. Now that you're not going to be called Yaakov, you're going to be called Yisrael, the blessings came to you, Yisrara, with noble conduct. So that's the connection between bless me and change the name. There's another point here, which is a bit more subtle. Um, Yaakov's name wasn't changed. Well, actually it was never changed completely. And it's not really changed at all because, as we are about to say again, and Rashi's going to spell this out explicitly, but the name change didn't happen at this point. It happens when Hashem appears to Yaakov at Betel in Pasuk Lamed, uh, sorry, in Perak Lamed Hei Pasuk Yud. And furthermore, the word Ye'omer is odd. Why do I say it's odd? Because we have a paradigm. We have a paradigm for when people's names are changed. When was Abraham and Sarah's names changed? at the end of Parshat Lech Lecha, and there it was said, um, Lo Yikare, your name will not be called. Instead of being called Avram, you will now be called Abraham, and you won't be called Avram again. Here it doesn't say called. It says, Vayomer Lo Yaakov Yeomer. Yaakov will not be said. What's the difference between saying and calling? Well, it fits beautifully with what Rashi is explaining. 
The issue is not what you say to Yaakov when you see him across the street. Do you wave and say Yaakov? Do you wave and say Israel? That's not the issue. The issue is what does the name tell us about what people were saying about his character and about his mode of acquiring the brachot? So the issue is when he says you won't be, it won't, Yaakov won't be said, it doesn't mean people won't call you Yaakov. And we see that they did, but rather it won't be said, but the, the blessings came to you, Ba'akaba. Okay, continues Rashi. And in the end, I, later on, Hashem will reveal himself to you in Beit El, and swap your name, and there he will bless you. So that is, Rashi's talking as if he's the Malach talking, and that is explaining, as I've said quite a few times now, number one, that Hashem's going to appear and, and give the same message that the Malach is giving here. And number two, there the name is going to be formally changed. So Rashi says, but the Malach here is saying, it's going to happen in the future, but it's not happening now. And then he says, this is still the Malach talking, sham I will be there, and I will acknowledge to you on them. So not only will Hashem change your name, but I, the angel will be there as well. And I will also acknowledge that the blessings are yours. Zehu shakatuv. And sorry, vzeh shakatuv. And this is what is written in the Pasuk in Hosea. So let's just say Hosea Perik Hey, Pasuk Dalad is not quoted by Rashi, but I'll tell you what it says. akav et achiv. In the womb, he took hold of his brother. Sarah et Elohim. And he fought with Hashem, clearly referring to uh, Yaakov. It's, it's explicitly referring, you know, the whole thing is about Yaakov. It's not like one of those uh, sections in, in, in Nach where you have to um, use the Mephoshim to understand what they're talking about. It's explicitly talking about Yaakov. And the next verse there is the one that the Rashi quotes now. For Yasar el Malach, and um, he was, by uh, Yasar, he was noble to the Malach, and he beat him. Bacha, he cried. lo, and he entreated him. So that is um, the description in Hosea of the way Yaakov engaged with the Malach. He defeated him. He cried, and he entreated him. Um, I'm sorry, Rashi says. I'm sorry, I've got it wrong. Bacha hamalach. The Malach cried and the Malach entreated Yaakov. Sorry, my mistake is, is a reasonable mistake because in Hosea it's not clear who's entreating to whom. But it turns out the Malach is entreating to Yaakov, which fits with what we've said so far. But the Malach says to Yaakov, let me go. And Yaakov says no. And what did he entreat to him? Beit El, now the next part of the Pasuk, Going back to the passing share, Beit El Yimatsainu Vasham Yidaber Yidaber Imanu. In Beit El, we will be found, and there he will speak with us. Says Rashi, what does that mean? Hamtain Li. This is the Malach's entreatment. This is Malach's request. Wait for me, Ad Shiyidaber Imanu Sham until he will speak with us there. That's the Vietchanen Lo 
in the Pasuk in Hosea. That's the request that the Malach makes. Now, as I said, it's getting confusing here, and I'm sorry if I've confused you further, because Rashi, who's explaining our Pasuk, Pasuk Kavtet, is bringing this quote from Hosea, and he's also fitting it in with there. But the reason for that is because Rashi says that that Pasuk in Hosea gives further information that explains what's going on here in our Pasuk in Kavtet. It gives a little bit of the backstory, and it says that the Malach says, wait for me. I'm not going to give you any comment here now. Uh, we'll do it when you find Hashem and me um, there in Beit El. Why is it Hashem and me? Because the Pasuk in Hashem says, Yimtza Ennu, you will find us. The two of us will be there, Hashem and me. It's very strange for the Malach to be saying that when Hashem's there, I'm going to be there as well. But Rashi says that's how we have to understand the Pasuk in Hosher, which clearly says in the plural, you will find us. And so the Pasuk in Hosher, it says, the Malach made this request. We've now explained what the request is. Wait for me until I speak with Hashem and Hashem will speak with you. But continues Rashi, but Yaakov didn't want to accede to that request. And he was, the Malach was forced to acknowledge to him on them. In other words, to give him the acknowledgement, but the brachot came to Yaakov by right, which is what Yaakov had asked for. Vizehu, and that is the pshat in Vayavarech Oto Sham, which comes in the next passage. He blessed him there. And this explains the significance of the there, that the Malach didn't want to bless him there. The Malach wanted to bless him in Beit El. But Yaakov, says Rashi, wouldn't let him go until he blessed him now at this point and in this place. So as Rashi says, that explains the end of Pasuk Lamad, where it says, he blessed him there. Continues Rashi, that he requested, he entreated that Yaakov wait for him to meet him again at Beit El, but Yaakov didn't want. So that comment of Rashi has achieved the aims that I said that Rashi was trying to do, and probably much more. Um, we've explained how it fits in with the Pasuk and Hosher, which gives us the backstory as to um, what exactly was the conversation between the Malach and Yaakov. We've explained how the question about the names and the answer about the names is indeed the response to Yaakov's question or demand of Berachtani, of bless me, because by changing the name, um, we are saying that the blessings came to him uh, appropriately, which Rashi says is what Yaakov was asking for. And we've explained by Sham, which is in the next passage, why it says he blessed him there, Dafka there, because that's what Yaakov insisted upon, not with, not what the Malach was asking for. Okay, uh, we can go on to Pasuk. Um, no, no, there's more to say. No, sorry, there's only more to say on the previous part, what we were just saying. Um, the Maral says that from we can see from Rashi, but the Malach was deliberately trying to slow things down. Why? Would he want to delay the acknowledgement of the blessings? Yaakov says, acknowledge the blessings now. The Malach says, let's wait a bit, wait till we meet again. And Yaakov says, no. So the Maral says that the Malach, who is the Malach Shal Esav, at this point we have to say he's the Malach Shal Esav, wanted to find some reason to not acknowledge the blessings to Yaakov. And the more longer he can wait, the more chance there is of him finding some kitruk, some allegation against Yaakov that can take away Yaakov's right to the blessings. 
That, says the Maharal, is why the Malach um, wanted to delay. I, the whole idea of a Malach having that, having, and having Bechira, having uh, making choices of their own, saying, yes, I will acknowledge the blessings, no, I won't acknowledge the blessings, is, is very hard. It's very hard, because a Malach is just a servant of Hashem. Perhaps we can understand a little bit more if we say the Malach is the Malach is the Sashel Esav, and Hashem has given him a task. Hashem has given the task to the Malach that he appoints to be the ministering, area, ministering, ministering angel of Esav, is to, as it were, carry out what we might say today, Esav's agenda. So perhaps we can give some sort of character to the Malach if we understand that he's doing his job, the job given to him by Hashem, which is to do precisely what Esav needs. Okay, we can slow down a little bit because the next words of Rashi are just two words. When the Malach says, you have fought the Im Anashim, Rashi says that refers to Esav the Lavan. You have fought with people, so it must be a plural, it must be more than one. And it's not hard to say that up to this point, there have been two dominant characters whom Yaakov has had to face. One was Esav, first of all, that's why he's first in the list, and one was Lavan. We have a slight question, perhaps. Um, how can we say the Tuchal? How can we say that Yaakov has defeated Lavan? That's easy, because Yaakov got away from Lavan and he got lots of wealth. How can we say he's defeated Esau? After all, Esau is coming with 400 men. At this point, Yaakov doesn't know how that's going to work out. But if we say that the Malach, who is the, is the Sashal Esau, so defeating the Malach is equivalent to defeating the Esau himself. And how has Yaakov defeated the Malach? Sorry, I said that was a question before. I hope we've answered it now. After all, Yaakov's the one who's lost the fight. He's lame. He can't walk properly. How has he won? And the answer is, again, this is how all these Rashis fit together. Rashi has told us how he forced the Malach to do what Yaakov wanted and not what the Malach wanted. Forcing the Malach to bless him there at that place at that time is his defeat of the Malach. And the Malach is the Malach of Esau. So in that sense, he's defeated Esau. I mean, you can say pretty much the same idea. Now the Malach has acknowledged that the blessings belong to Yaakov because he brought them about not by trickery, but by appropriate conduct. Um, that is a defeat for Esau. At that moment, you can say Esau has been defeated. And then finally, the Tuchal says Rashi, Lahem. That's all Rashi says. Now, I've said a few times now, we all know that Tuchal means you have vanquished, you have fought, you have beaten. Rashi doesn't spell that out, but he adds an object. Um, the object, Tuchal becomes a transitive verb. You have something to them. So the Tuchal is an intransitive, you might think it's an intransitive verb, you were able. That was it, you were able, you weren't unable, you were able. Um, but by Rashi adding the word lahem, means you must now mean you did something to them. What, you can't say you were able to them. That makes no sense. So what is it that you did to them? You beat them. You vanquished them, which is the alternative meaning of the Tuchal. Okay, Pasuk Lamad. So we've met, these, we've met this Pasuk before, but we'll see it again in more detail. By Yishal Yaakov. Yaakov asked, by Yomer, and he said, Higida na shemecha. Um, tell me, please, your name. Vayomer, and he, the Malach, replied, Lama lishmi. Why do you ask my name? Oto Sham. And he blessed him there. What's odd? Anything odd? 
I'd say there's one thing that's odd that we can accept, but there's another thing which is odd that we can't accept. Okay, obviously I've, I've got an endpoint in mind. Uh, you might say it's odd that Yaakov asks the Malach the Malach's name. And I think it is a little bit odd, but we can sort of explain it and we can sort of be okay with it because what did the Malach just do? The Malach asked Yaakov's name. So Yaakov asked the Malach's name. But what is hard is the response of the Malach. Why do you ask my name? As if it's an absurd thing to do. So why is it absurd? So that's Rashi. Rashi says, explaining the words of the Malach. The Malach says, why have you done this absurd thing? Why? We don't have fixed names. Mishtanim shomoteinu. Our names are changed. Hakol lefi mitzvat avodat hashelichut. It all depends on the mitzvah of the work of the mission that we're on. Sha'anu mishtalchim, in which we are sent. And this fits quite nicely with what Rashi said earlier about malachim, uh, in particular at the beginning of uh, Bayera, where Abraham meets the angels. And Rashi says, Rashi says at least three times, maybe even more in that section, that angels only do one job, one job, one angel. And that's why there are three to start with, because there are three jobs. And then uh, only two of the angels need to go on to Saddam, because there's only two jobs there, one to destroy Saddam, one to save Lot. Um, so Rashi is very clear that an angel is designated to have a particular job. Um, but we can, this Rashi goes a little bit further. The angel is nothing other than their job. And therefore, they have no independent existence. So there's no angel called Fred. There's only is the angel called, I'm the one sent to fight with Yaakov. And another time, he might have a different job and therefore a different identity. That's what a malach is. A malach is a shaliach. He's somebody sent by HaKadosh Baruch Hu to do something that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants done. Um, and that's all the Malach is, and that's expressed here. But what Rashi has done is explain why the Malach says, Lama Shalishmi, because with this explanation, the question is nonsense. There's no point in asking a Malach's name. It, it, it doesn't have a name, it only has a job. So Rashi's explaining why the Malach says, why are you asking my name? As if it's a crazy thing to do. Um, it's just worth noting um, that in one of the manuscripts, the first Roma, the Roman manuscript, there's an extra phrase here. Normally I tell you that fits uh, that in our Rashi shouldn't be there. There's one coming up soon. Um, here's a bit that's not in our Rashi that maybe it should be there. And it's rather nice. Rashi apparently says, Umipi Mori Rabbi Shimon Zal. I learned from my teacher Rabbi Shimon. The angel doesn't want to reveal his name. He doesn't want to take a crown for himself. Lomar, to say, as if to say, this miracle, whatever the Malach was sent to perform, was done by this particular Malach by himself. Because that's not correct. Because the Malach is only ever a servant doing a mission on behalf of Hashem. So if the Malach achieves some effect in the world, the Malach doesn't want to take any credit. The Malach doesn't deserve any credit because he's only doing it as an emissary and therefore he doesn't have a name or rather he doesn't have a name other than the name of the mission he happens to be on. 
Um, just by the way, um, before we get to Pasuk Lamed Aleph, um, this isn't Rashi per se, um, but since I gave a share a few weeks ago on the subject of the non-Jewish chapter divisions, um, I've got very excited by this topic and where the non-Jewish chapter divisions differ from our divisions. So what are our divisions? So when you find a Pasha Skuma and a Pasha Spetucha, um, in the Sefer Torah, if there's a gap within one line, that's called a Pasha Stuma. If there's a gap all the way to the end of a line, that's called a Pasha Tucha. And they roughly compare to paragraph breaks and what we would call chapter breaks. The non-Jewish chapter divisions um, often follow the same Pasha Tucha or Stuma, but quite often do not. Um, we're about to come to the end of a chapter. We've got three more Pasukim in this chapter. But at the end of this chapter, in the Sefer Torah, there is no break whatsoever. Lamed Gimel, sorry, Posak uh, Lamed Gimel of Perak Lamed Bet leads straight on to Posak Aleph of Perak Lamed Gimel. There is no break in the Sefer Torah whatsoever. Uh, in fact, the whole story of Yaakov's encounter with Esau, the preparation and the actual manifestation, it's all one single story. There's no break in the Sefer Torah at all. And, you know, I, I was hoping to get to Pasuk Lama Gimel tonight, maybe we will, um, and we'll sort of end the chapter and it gives a certain feeling of finality. But worse than that, it makes us feel that uh, Pasuk Aleph introduces some whole new experience. And that's not what the Torah says. Now, there is no Pasha's Tucha, Pasha's, sorry, Stuma or Pasha's Petucha until you get to the whole end of the meeting with Esau. What there is though, is something which is a sort of lower level break which is the end of an aliyah. So the end of Kohe, the end of Levi, the end of Shlishi, is some sort of break. Sometimes they match up with a Pasha, Stuma, or Ptucha. Often they don't. So they are a little bit less of a break. And this is all by way of introduction to say that the end of Pasuk Lama that we've just learned, that's the end of Shani, um, and Pasuk Lama Aleph starts Shlishi. So there's a bit of a new topic um, and that Pasuk Lamed Aleph, which starts Shalishi, runs in to the next um, uh, chapter. We call it Perak, which perhaps gives it greater uh, Hebrew sounding that it deserves. Because as I say, the chapters that we all use are definitely of non-Jewish origin and sometimes portray non-Jewish ideas. So that was all by way of saying Pasuk Lamed Aleph is now into Shalishi. So it's a little bit of a new thing, which what really what I'm trying to say is Pasuk Lamed is the end to some extent of an old thing. Pasuk Lamed, he's finished with the Malach. The Malach has blessed him and the Malach's gone. No more Malach, no more preparation. What happens now is something a little bit new, but we don't get that just by going from chapter, from, from verse 30 to verse 31. We don't notice, but it's a little bit new. So what does verse 31 say? <laughs> Yaakov called the name of the place Peniel, literally the face of God. Because I have seen Hashem face to face, and my soul was saved. So after I spent the last five minutes saying this is a sort of a new Indian, a new matter, he is referring back or reflecting on meeting the angel. He meets the angel who is a manifestation of Hashem, panim el panim, face to face, and nevertheless, my soul was saved. No rush on that. The sun shone on him. 
or maybe not on him. Lo means to him or for him. Ka'asher avar et punoel, when he passed punoel, behut solea al yerecho. And he, well, it's present tense, which is interesting, is limping on his thigh. Rashi has a problem with the word lo. Um, why would he have a problem with the word lo? Any ideas what's the problem with the word lo? Okay, the sun doesn't shine for anyone. So it doesn't shine for one person. And I realize also there's the problem with the Lamas. Um, if the sun shone on him, you might say, a love. What does it mean the sun shone to him or for him? So Russia's going to explain all that. So Russia's going to give, funny how you count them, two, maybe three answers. And he starts with the Pshat and then goes into a Midrash. Um, and again, I it's one of those times I have to say that the Pshat, which is the first line, um, in some manuscripts of Rashi isn't there at all. And in other manuscripts, it's it there, but it's later, as if we start with the Midrash and then we bring in the Pshat later. So bear that in mind as we go through it. We'll go through it in the order it's printed in our Formashim. Um, but bear in mind that it might be make more sense if Rashi's actually, the real Rashi is doing it in a different order from what we're about to read. So first of all, Rashi says, for Yisrach lo Hashemesh. Loshan b'nei adam hu. It's an expression of people. They say like, when we reached a certain place, the morning shone on us. That's the simple meaning. So you're right. And obviously the question is, as you said, the sun doesn't shine for a particular person, nor does it shine for one person to the exclusion of all others. Uh, but people say, I didn't know people say, but apparently people say when they reach a place, they might say, the sun is shone for us, the sun's shining on us. Now, there is a good precedent for this, which is Shmuel Bet, Perut Bet, Posuk Lamad Bet, talks about Yoav and his men fighting and traveling. And it says, um, Yaakov, sorry, Yoav and his men traveled the whole night and it shone to them in Hebron. Uh, Rashi doesn't quote that, um, but that seems to be a very good example of what Rashi is talking about. It shone to them in Hebron. When they reached Hebron, it was uh, it's like a, a phrase, the sun shone for them. That's Zehub Shuto. That is um, the simple meaning. And then he says, Umidrash Agada. There's a midrashic meaning. The Yisrach lo, it, the sun shone low for him, to him. Lutzarko, for his needs. And what were his needs? Lerapaot et salato, to heal his limping. Um, now, I said there's a problem with the Lamad. Um, and the Yisrach lo, the sun shone to him. What does that mean? The sun shone for him, well, maybe better. Um, Rashi in Perakavchet Pasuket Vav, when Hashem said to Yaakov on his way out of Israel, when he had the dream of the ladder, that Hashem said, I will look after you all the time until I have done everything, Dibarti Lach, that I said, and Rashi says, it can't mean that I said to you. We won't go into that whole thing again. What does it mean? Dibarti Lutzarcha, I will say 
to for your needs. Everything I said I'm going to do to look after you, for you, for your needs, I will do. Here also, Rashi basically saying exactly the same thing. For his needs. The sun shone on him for his benefit. And what was that? To heal his limping. Like they like 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 it is said, and this is a Pasak in Malachi, Shemesh Sadaka Umarper Bichnaferha. The sun um, is righteous and heals with its wings. And the more extensive passage there says, those who fear Hashem get this blessing, but the sun heals them. So we see that the sun heals. So Yaakov needed healing because he was limping, and the sun healed him, and that's the Yisrach Lo. So the first explanation, which Rashi calls the Peshat, is Loshon Ben Adam. It's the way people speak. It's not actually precise, because the sun doesn't just shine on one person or for one person, uh, but it's the way people speak. And I think it's that lack of precision that really doesn't really answer the question is why Rashi brings a second explanation. He brings a second explanation, which is Midrashic, because it doesn't say the sun shone for his benefit, the sun shone to heal him, but the Midrash is saying that's what it means. And then Rashi says one more thing. The Oton Sha'ot, those hours where the sun hurried to set for his sake, when he came out of Beersheba, it now hurried to shine for him or on his behalf. So this is a very nice sort of closing of the circle because Rashi said that the sun set early when Yaakov was in uh, at the ladder in Beit El, in order to make him stay there the night. And Rashi said why that was important at the time. But Rashi said the sun set early. So Rashi now says the sun rose early, as it were, to pay him back. It's interesting. The next week we'll be changing the clocks. You get an extra hour of sleep. And I have a vote that I always say to my family, but if you're sensible, you'll store up that extra hour until October, because then you'll need it back. Nobody ever does. Nobody ever does. So we have Lahavdil Alfelevin, something which reminds us of that. It's not the same thing. Um, that the hours that the sun set early were now repaid with uh, the sun rising early. Perhaps Rashi's problem is, is Hashem going to change the whole order of nature, the whole path of the sun, just for Yaakov's limping leg? Um, and the answer is yes, because he can, because the sun can pay back the hours that he took earlier. So it's not changing the whole order of creation, it's readjusting. He adjusted it once, he now adjusts it back, and he can adjust it back for the sake of Yaakov. Okay, we will stop there. Um, we didn't quite get to the end of the, we didn't quite get, oh, I'll just do the end of the Pasuk. Okay, because there's one more Rashi on the same Pasuk, on the words for Hutzalea, and he limped. Now there's two problems with this, I'll say it quickly. One is, it doesn't say he limped, it's present tense. So he was in a state of limping. And number two, according to Rashi, what was the effect of the sun shining? And to heal his, to heal his, to, um, to his limping. So why is he still limping? So Rashi says, He was in a state of limping 
when the sun shone. But now the sun has done its work, he's no longer limping. So the does not mean what was the state at the end of the Pasuk, but really it was a state, uh, uh, it was his state at an earlier moment when the sun began to shine. So it's telling you not about his limping per se, but it's telling you the chronology. And that's what Rashi is giving us. He was in a state of limping when the sun began to shine. We will stop there when we meet again on the other side of Pesach. We will take it from Pasuk Lam and Gimel. On the one hand, it's odd to end with one verse left in the chapter. But as we said, the chapters are of no significance whatsoever. Therefore, therefore it doesn't matter. So I bid you a good evening. And if I don't see you before, Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach.